Mary's song. And it's known as the Magnificat, um, which is just Latin for magnify. So in this song, Mary is magnifying God. And to give a little context for the passage today, chapter 1 of Luke starts after 400 years of silence from God. So during this 400-year period, no prophets were sent to Israel. There were no signs and wonders taking place. And it was during this 400-year time that Israel came under Roman oppression. Um, so they were being oppressed. And still, there was no word from God. And that's where our passage picks up today. That's where Luke chapter 1 comes in. So after this 400 years of silence, in a small and forgotten town, an angel appears to a poor, young girl, one of the least in the land, and that silence is broken. So to this forgotten girl in a forgotten place, God's messenger gives the news that she will be with child. The power of the Most High will overshadow her, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, who will be named Jesus. So imagine this, while the world is just rushing about their business, in the midst of total obscurity, God ends the silence with the most earth-shattering news ever to be received. A baby is coming. But this baby will be the Son of God. And his name will be Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And the core of Christianity is wrapped up in Jesus' name. So every other world religion is about man trying to earn his way up to God to obtain salvation. But Christianity is about God coming down to us. Down and down and down to the smallest, lowest form, that of a baby, and saving us. Christmas is a reminder that Christianity doesn't start with, here is what you must do. It starts with, here is what God has done for you. This is what leads Mary to burst into this song, this Almost, it's almost like a prayer song um, in verse 46. And she uses the phrase, he has, eight different times as she recounts what God has done. And her song shares what God has done for three different recipients of his blessings. What God has done for her, what God has done for all believers, and what God has done for Israel. So this morning, we're going to look kind of close up at Mary's song as she magnifies the Lord. And then we're going to zoom out a little bit and follow her example by magnifying the Lord ourselves as we look at what he's done by sending his son into the world. And this song comes kind of bursting out of Mary. We get a sense reading the passage that she just bursts into this song spontaneously. Um, after Elizabeth confirms what the angel has told her. Um, and she begins in verse 46 with, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
So Mary recognizes that in the coming of Jesus, she will be saved. Mary was faithful, she was obedient, she was a servant, but she needed a savior just like every human does. And Mary grasped the fact that God was bringing salvation. In verses 48 through 49, she rejoices in the fact that God has chosen her. She's awed by this reality that he could have chosen anyone. There were plenty of other, I'm sure, young girls in Israel. But God chose her. And she recognizes that all generations will call her blessed. And she declares, he has done great things for me. Out of all the people he could have chosen, God has chosen Mary, a poor, young, unwed girl. Mary's song flows out of an overwhelming sense of God's favor and his goodness towards her. I think if we think about that, you know, we should all be like Mary, right? If we take time to think about what God has done for us. He could have chosen anyone, but he has chosen you. He's chosen me. Every single one of us is like Mary in the sense that we have each received through the Holy Spirit Christ in us. We should be just as shocked that God would give us with all of our flaws such an incredible gift. What God has done for us should leave us in the same kind of awe and worship that it did for Mary. We should never be able to get over the goodness and the kindness of God to choose us. In verses 50-53, Mary goes on to look at what God has done for all of his people by extending mercy to all who fear him. Mary recognizes that this baby is coming to turn the world systems upside down. She sees someone who will scatter the crowd, who will bring down the rulers and exalt the humble, someone who will fill the hungry, a kingdom where power and wealth do not equal automatic acceptance, but where those who come empty-handed are filled. See, Jesus is not coming like any other ruler or any other religious God ever came. He's not coming in power and strength. He doesn't save us from a throne, but from a cross. These verses foreshadow the kingdom that Jesus brings when he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a kingdom where God does the work that we could never do. This is a kingdom for all who are willing to come empty-handed and be filled. If you've been in church for a long time, it can be easy to kind of take this news casually. But truly, this is absolutely amazing. This is not how the world works. This is not how God has to do things. He is holy and perfect. He doesn't owe us anything. And not a single one of us would be good enough to earn this gift. 
And yet, God says to us, all who are thirsty, come. All who are hungry, come. This is astonishing news. It's the kind of news that's worth singing about. In the final verses, Mary looks at what God has done for Israel. She says, because of his mercy, he has helped Israel. He has kept his promises to Abraham and to Israel. In spite of their rebellion, God is still using Israel to fulfill his purposes. He would bring the Messiah through their line just as he had promised. Not because of their goodness, but because of his mercy. Mary's song is all about what God has done. And through the message of the angel, she realizes that salvation is going to be made possible by God. That the entire story of redemption has been God's work from the beginning. And her song just wells up out of deep joy over all that God has done. And she is just overflowing with praise and awe and worship. Mary sits at the beginning of the Christmas story, but we stand on the other side of it. So we have the chapters that follow. And I think that allows us even more insight into what God has done by sending his son into the world. So as I sat with this passage this week, I kept coming back to the fact that Jesus came as a baby. And I've been in church since I was a child, and so this was part of the story that I just kind of accepted. Um, I thought, it's completely normal. This is what I've heard since I was, you know, born. Um, and, and I never really wondered about it until I kind of really started to sit with this passage. Um, and I think that's what Advent is meant to be for us. So we don't rush through Christmas in three days. Advent is meant to be this time where we slow down and we take these passages and we begin to ask, what is God revealing about himself? What does this say about God? Because in every one of the stories of Christmas, God is giving a message. And it's a message that's really different from the world. So as you read these passages over the next few weeks, um, when you're reading, just ask yourself, what does this reveal about God? Sit with these passages and give yourself time to really dwell in those questions. So as I was asking the question this week, um, I began to see with fresh eyes what God is telling us about himself by coming as a baby. And it just really led me to even more awe and more worship at what God has done. I think every pregnant mother marvels at the miracle of the baby within her. Mary marveled all the more because she knew that the child within her was going to be the Savior of the world. But why did Jesus come as a baby? So I went back through the Old Testament and started looking at all of the other appearances of God on earth. Um, and just for a few examples, there are many, but for a few this morning, um, <clears throat> he showed up to Moses as a fire in the burning bush. At Mount Sinai, he shows up in heavy clouds, 
peals of thunder and lightning, smoke and fire. It was so scary that the people were afraid to draw near. To Ezekiel, he shows up in a windstorm, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant fire. When Moses asked to see the face of God, he was told it would kill him. When Solomon dedicated the temple, God showed up as a fire that came down from heaven, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple so that no man could enter. Solomon declared, But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And yet God, who cannot be contained in the highest heavens, shed all of his glory so that he might contain himself in a tiny embryo in Mary's dark room for nine months. Solomon asked, will God really dwell on earth with humans? John 1 answers, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Matthew 1 says, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We read the Philippians passage this morning because in it we see how Jesus emptied himself of his glory, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. As a baby born to Mary and Joseph, he became vulnerable and poor. He completely surrendered his power and his glory. God chooses the powerlessness of a baby as the expression of his all-subduing power because he's about to change the world, not with strength and power, but with humility and sacrifice. You see, Jesus starts his life in the same way that he ends it, in humble sacrifice. In the Old Testament examples of God showing up, the images are often quite scary, and they cause fear in people. But this appearance is different. When God comes to us in Jesus Christ, he does not come as a fire or a storm, but as a baby. Because this time, God is not coming in judgment. He has not come this time to bring judgment, but to bear it for us. He comes as a baby, tearing down the barrier of our fears. He sheds his splendor and his majesty to become accessible to us. He comes to us not in his mighty strength, but in weakness, not in splendor, but in gentleness, not in forcefulness, but in tenderness. You see, in coming as a baby, Jesus removes our fears and beckons us to draw near. He bridges the gap between God and man by bearing sin's judgment for us. Hebrews 12 talks about um, how Jesus removes the barrier of judgment and fear so that we can draw near to God. 
references God's Old Testament appearance at Mount Sinai. Hebrews says to believers, you have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched and is burning in fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So when you look at the manger this Christmas and you see Jesus as a baby, God's message to us is, I have come and borne your judgment. I have come like this for you. I have emptied myself for you so that you never have to be empty. I have come so that you might draw near. Can you see the immense compassion of God? The overflowing love of God in the face of baby Jesus. Jesus came as a baby, but not like other babies enter the world. Mary was a virgin, and she was told that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her so that she might conceive. Just think about this. At the moment of conception, Almighty God binds himself to humanity. The nature of God joined with Mary's egg, two natures completely united to create one, Jesus, fully God and fully man. Unimaginable greatness packed into a tiny embryo. No other religion says that God became flesh. This miracle is essential for our faith, and our salvation doesn't exist without it. Jesus had to come in this way. Because he was fully man, he could take our sin upon himself and pay the penalty of death. He had to be a man to be our substitute and to die. But because he is also fully God, he was able to live the perfect life that we could never live and to become a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. Jesus comes as a baby because only through this divine conception does he come as both fully God and fully man in the only way that could accomplish our salvation. Through his willingness to be born, Jesus embodies the immense love of God for us. The conception demonstrates God's choice to bind himself to humanity, to dwell with man. He loved us enough to empty himself and to confine himself in the form of a helpless baby. Because he came in this way, he knows what it feels like to be weak, to be helpless, to be human. He became like this. He became like us so that we might, he might sympathize with our weakness. But because he is also fully God, he takes that sympathy and he intercedes for us before the Father. So look into the face of the baby Jesus and see our God is an immensely, deeply personal God. He knows. He cares. 
and he is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The King of Kings shedding his glory to come to us, to draw near to us, to make his dwelling place with us. All of this God has done. As you reflect on the Christmas story this Advent, may you see Christ coming to you as a baby. May you see how much he emptied himself, how he freely learned himself for you. Laid it all aside to draw near to you. May that fill our hearts with such joy that like Mary, we find ourselves saved. May our souls glorify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God's Amen. Mm-hmm.